Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Kitty Sewell. I've been in the radio business for nearly 20 years, mostly working for public radio in the United States. In 2013, I quit my stable job and moved to Rome for just one year. That's where this podcast begins. And if you're new, don't be afraid to start at the beginning. A lot of interesting topics have come up over the years, and I'd hate for you to miss out on the adventure. My co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer and the editor of Where Rome magazine. And she's an expat who moved to Rome over a decade ago with a determination to stay whatever it took. She's also my childhood friend. I met her on the school bus in sixth grade. I hope you like the show, and if you do, tell a friend and take the time to write us a review. You could also participate in our share and win some prizes. Find details on how to play along at our About page at thebittersweetlife.net. We're glad you're here. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. I am back in the States from Rome. Now, (laughs) truth be told, I've been back for a while. I don't know if you've noticed that originally I said I would be in Rome for what, a month or two? And we've been in Rome for how many months now on the show? Like six months, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So five or six months. It's been a while. I've been back in San Francisco for quite a while. And Tiffany also has had her August vacation come and go. And since we're not quite ready, though, to let just talking about Italy and being in Italy go, we decided, however, that we were going to talk about the Dolomites, which is where you spent your August break mm-hmm. and a place I've been to a couple times and a place everybody should go to at once in their life. So we're going to take you there mentally now and then maybe you'll start planning your trip there after the show's over. Yes. Well, why don't we start with you since you just were there. Where did you go? What happened? First, we should describe where exactly the Dolomites are. Okay. They're in the farthest northeastern region in Italy, which is called Trentino Alto Adige. And there might be some of the Dolomites also might be in like the next region over to the east, but I don't know. So you'll have to look that up yourself. But definitely the majority of the Dolomites are in that region there, Trentino Alto Adige, which is on the Austrian border. The reason we decided to go there was it's not that I'm not an adventurous person. I've never been one of those outdoorsy type people. You know, <laughs> I think we've talked about this on the show before. I grew up going to the ballet and doing plays and voice lessons and never went camping, never went to football, never went hiking, you know, that kind of thing. Grew up with women. <laughs> but I have started in the past 10 or 15 years or so to appreciate the outdoors more. And my husband never gets time off in August. He usually never does. And I always do. It's kind of frustrating. This year, he actually did get some time off. So we said, well, we have to go somewhere in August. But in Italy, traveling in August can be problematic because so many people take their holidays in August that the beach areas are all totally, totally packed. Kind of miserable, really. Yeah. And I said, my only requirement is that we don't go to the beach. I will not go to the beach in August. Absolutely. I'm just not doing it. And so he said, well, why don't we go to the mountains? Something that we've always kind of talked about doing. And finally, we had this perfect opportunity. So 
we decided to go up to the Dolomites, and it's quite far from Rome, but uh, as far as, you know, if you're going by car, but we decided that those were the most beautiful mountains in Italy, and some of the most beautiful mountains in the world, I think. So we decided we planned the trip, and we went. And the area that we went to, in Italian, they call them the Alpi di Siusi, which Alpi, of course, means Alps, and it's kind of where the Alps and the Dolomites meet. So it's a very gorgeous, mountainous area, about an hour north of the town of Bolzano. So that's where I was. Yeah, so the interesting thing about all of the towns up in the Dolomite area is that they have two names, which yes. makes it a little bit confusing <laughs> sometimes. Mm-hmm. One is the Italian name, and what is the other one? Is it German? or is It's it- German. But yeah, that was one of the things that really surprised me about being up there was how much more prevalent German is than Italian. Mm -hmm. And I knew that a lot of people did speak German, but I didn't realize that it was like everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And there were some people who didn't even speak Italian. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Or who spoke very little Italian. People who were working at our hotel who were from the area, I remember saying, look, I don't speak German. I can speak to you in English or Italian. And they said, well, it's the same. You know, (laughs) kind of like... Neither is really what I want to be speaking, but I can I can manage. It's not like they have two first languages. It's that it's German is really their first language. Yeah. So anywhere you go, one town that both you and I have been to is Castelrotto. Mm-hmm. But that's also called Castelrut. <laughs> yeah. So you can just pick which one you feel more comfortable saying <laughs> based on your language skills. <laughs> but that one's quite close. The town I was staying in, because I, I did visit Castelrotto, yes. but the town we stayed in was called Fie allo Ciliar, which is gorgeous, by the way. <laughs> uh, both of those towns are gorgeous. But Fie is the name sort of, of the town, and Ciliar is the name of the mountain that's like right behind the town. So it's called Fie allo Ciliar. And in German, it's called Fols... I should have written this down. But Fols is the name of the town. So instead of Fie with an F, it's Fols with a V. Mm-hmm. And then the name of the mountain is Sh. Okay, I want to try to say this right. It's Scherln. Fols auf Scherln or Fie allo Schiliar. It's very different. Very different. So I'm assuming you chose to go with the Italian on that one. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Fie is quite easy to say, at least for me. Yeah, I noticed this when I was like trying to tag something on Instagram. I was like trying to tag where I was and I was trying to put in the name of this mountain because I was right on the mountain, Shiliad, or right next to it. It wasn't coming up and it just kept coming up as Scherlen. And I'm like, what is this Scherlen thing? <laughs> I can't even say it. German is so difficult. But anyway, yes, very odd language thing going on up there. And it surprises me because like Switzerland is a country that truly has three official languages and depending on what part of Switzerland you're in they speak a different language but Italy has its own official national language Italian and it seems odd to me that there's this part of the country in which the schooling isn't even in Italian clearly the schooling is is in German otherwise they would all speak perfect Italian so Mm -hmm. it just struck me as being quite odd I think there are several things about the Dolomites that make them stand out I felt like Everywhere I went in the Dolomites felt like I had stepped back in time. You know, not that they didn't have modern conveniences and warm water or things like that. You know, they are modern little towns. But it wasn't that unusual to encounter a house that was built above where the cows are. 
the cows would be on the lower floor and the people would be living on the floor above it. Or where you would encounter these vast open fields that were dotted with these little altars at every crossroads, you know, where there'd be like a little altar. Yes, I noticed those little altars as well with like the crucifix or the Madonna. Those were really interesting. All these pilgrim type trails and little abandoned churches on hillsides. And it just felt like I was in a different era or in a different country. Really, it does feel like you're in a different culture altogether in some ways. Yes. People always jokingly say it's like civilized Italy. You've heard that, I'm sure, right? I wouldn't say civilized versus uncivilized. I would say much more well-organized. The further you get in Italy, even if you're in Milan, things are going to run better. Yeah. And the further south you go, like if you go down to Calabria, it makes Rome seem like you're living in, in Dubai, practically. <laughs> yeah. It's just very, it's just the, the further north you get, the more well-organized, the more efficient things get. And so in that sense, I don't necessarily think it has anything to do with being civilized or not, but definitely more well-organized and, and more efficient, for sure. And I think that goes as far as bureaucracy as well. We encountered some people who live in Bolzano one day, and they were talking about how life is there. And it's just, even just for the residents, it seems that things run much more smoothly and things are easy to do. And I mean, the truth is, when you're in a smaller town, a lot of things are just easier because there's just fewer people who are trying to do the same thing. Yeah, that's true. But I do think that certain small towns in Italy, they're more dying off or falling apart. That's true as well. You didn't get the sense of the Dolomites, even though it's very remote. And there would be people living on hillsides completely alone. You yeah. did not get the sense that it was passing away. No. In fact, it's kind of the perfect best of both worlds really having the small town the quaintness the the slow pace of life and all those wonderful things that we love about small towns but also at the same time having a sense of I guess you could say civilization or a sense of efficiency that you wouldn't get in a small town in Sicily or something like that yeah so did you go hiking yes we did a lot of hiking I mean for us it was a lot because we're not huge hikers or we didn't used to be we bought a child carrier that Claudia wore on his back for Aurelio, and I had the backpack with all the supplies, so I was actually quite laden down as well, and we took off more than half of the days we were there. I would say six out of the eight days we were there, we went on hikes, and it was wonderful. We loved it. It was just absolutely beautiful. I just can't wait to go back. I just felt so at peace and so invigorated at the same time and I loved it I loved the fact that there was hardly any people around and the people that you did encounter were all very friendly and respectful and it was just great what about you did you go hiking when you were there yeah in fact we should play some sounds should we sure because also hiking there is sort of also like hiking back in time did you did you do any hikes where you encountered um cows just on the trail by chance? No, I didn't see any. I saw cows in the distance, but I didn't see any cows on the actual trail. No. All right. Well, here's some sounds of a cow munching. I'm literally standing right next to it. It couldn't have cared two hoots that I was there because it was on a hiking trail. It was probably passed by people all the time. Uh -huh. But I, you know me, I listen to everything with my ears and then I see stuff after that. <laughs> and so I had to record this cow munching as I'm walking through the forest. And I'm in the forest, by the way. <laughs> so this is a cow and his buddies who are in the forest eating. 
I love that. I love it. And I love the fact that some of the, so many of the trails did go through the forest. Certain areas reminded me of like Mercer Island on an enormous scale. Mercer Island, by the way, for those of you listening, is the suburb of Seattle where Katie and I both grew up. And behind my house, as I'm sure you'll remember, was just this very small, it was very small if you look at it on a map, but to me as a child, it seemed like this huge, vast wilderness. Right behind my house and going up the hill were very, very tall trees, very close together, and little tiny streams or creeks that would run through them. And my sister and I would dress up as Laura Ingalls and her sisters. <laughs> and my, my mom made us the clothes, the bonnets and the long dresses. And we would dress up and we would go into the wilderness. She always got to be Laura. It was so unfair. And I was Carrie. Ugh. And we would go off into the woods and the same types of very, very tall evergreen trees and, you know, sort of curving landscape. I can't really describe it. And the little streams. It was like Mercer Island was a miniature version of that. Okay, now minus all of the glorious mountains, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that part of it, the climbing through the forest, I got a little bit nostalgic. But it was wonderful. And as far as the mountains, Claudio was explaining to me that the reason the Dolomites are so pointy, um, because they're so much pointier than like the Alps, is because they're newer. Did you know this? No. They're newer mountains in the sense that, you know, you know how mountains are formed, right? Yeah. By the geological shifting of the earth. So the Alps are very old and they were formed at a certain point in history. And then, you know, over the centuries and millennia, they've been worn down by time and by the elements and all that stuff that wears mountains down. And the Dolomites happened later and they're so much spikier because they haven't been around as long. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess. I'm not, not being a geologist. Well, neither am I, but this is what I have learned, and I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, totally. They really are incredible. They're just like, the peaks, they just, they're like totally vertical. I read that you can climb those things. I don't know how it's possible, but people do it. With ropes and clips. Yeah. Apparently, there's something called the Via di Ferro, which means like the way of iron, and they're in certain areas of the mountains, I'm not talking about true vertical climbs, but still very, very, very steep. People over the years have put iron, not steps exactly, but iron, how would you describe what I'm talking about? I don't even know if you, I, I'm making sense. Sorry, I'm like doing a hand motion and she's like, what? Like an iron rail, something if you were climbing up the rock, you'd be able to clip onto as you go up. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly, exactly. That is exactly what I mean. And I don't know what it's called, but there are those on that. And it's called the Via di Ferro. And he was like, oh, if we didn't have Aurelio with us, I would do it. I would go up that mountain. Wow. Takes a little practice. Yeah, yeah. He, you have to be in good shape someday, someday. Hi, Katie here, busting in really quick to remind you that we need your stories for upcoming shows. First... We need the story of your travel angel, the person who helped you out when you needed it most. Maybe it was someone you knew, or maybe it was a stranger you never saw again. And second, we need your travel regrets. Those are things you wish you had done differently, or that opportunity you wish you had grabbed when you had the chance. Send your stories to thebittersweetlife at mail.com or record a voice memo 
and send it to us so that we can hear you on the show. Again, that's bittersweetlife at mail.com. Or you can find a contact us at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Or you can tell us about it on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Find us by searching for The Bittersweet Life Podcast. We just can't wait to hear your stories. So please, send them in. Back to the show. This is the thing, too. So you were saying, you know, you're not really an outdoorsy type. Historically haven't been. I didn't grow up going camping or anything like that either. But I will say that the Dolomites is this blend of hiking in the wilderness and absolute civilization. You're walking along, you're passing a cow, then you're out by these jagged peaks. The landscape around you is constantly changing. I remember this one moment where we've passed the cow, we've passed all these rocks, we're climbing up this what seems to be an endless staircase upward. And when we get to the top of the staircase, everything flattens out and it's this big green meadow. And in the center of the meadow is like this alpine hut. Yeah. Picnic tables scattered all around it. And you can hear accordion music echoing over the green grass. And we walked up to that hut and people are eating soup and they're eating meat and they're drinking beer. And there's like a guy playing the accordion and there's bathrooms and kids playing in the grass you're in the wilderness and now you're in this like little bavarian wonderland break yeah it's amazing well i guess i'll have a giant beer wasn't planning on it thought i was in the middle of nowhere <laughs> but now there's all these beautiful people running around so i guess i'll have some soup do you remember the names of any of those places that you went no i don't remember those specifically no well, I have two names of places just like that. We might have been to the same one, mm-hmm. but I think there are several. They're called Malga, Malge, by the way, in case you're in that area and you see the word Malga. That is the name, at least the Italian name for these sort of, they kind of remind me of like what a, I imagine a ski lodge to be like. I've never been skiing, so I, I don't really have any experience, but like very civilized beautifully curated and clean and nice looking wooden I would call it much more than a hut more like a little chalet almost yeah with a really quality restaurant of traditional food and beer and tea and whatever you you want a children's playground you know places just tons of green space where you can just lie down and relax and then of course the view so this is called a malga the ones that we went to, at least the two that we remember specifically, were called Malgatuf and Malgahofer. And Malgatuf was our favorite. It was just incredible. If you are leaving from Fie, which is where we were leaving, and you just basically walk straight up <laughs> due north <laughs> towards the mountains, there's the little wooden signs, and you just follow them up. It took us probably three hours, two and a half, three hours to get there, maybe a little bit less, I can't remember, a good chunk of time to get up there. And we got there, it was like 11 a.m. There was hardly anybody there. This is paradise. This is just the most, you know, we had this gorgeous meal. You know, it's just so much nicer than like having to carry a squished sandwich and some broken crackers. Yeah, granola bars. (laughs) Yeah. Thank <laughs> you.
one other thing I wanted to, to mention before we were out of time was we went twice. Derek and I went twice. And the second time we went, we went to Bressanone, otherwise known as Brixen, which is the one I go with because it's easier to say. <laughs> and it's easy to remember. Brixen. And when was this? Because I know you went to Caserotto in right before Aurelia's baptism. No, no, no. I, we went to Castel Roto, I believe, while we were living there. Okay. Yeah, while we were actually living in Rome. And we went to Brixen when we came back. Right after Aurelia was born, right? Right after Aurelia was born. Yep. Okay. And we went up there and stayed for about two weeks. Wow. And Brixen I love because their website, Brixen.org for one, is really, really well organized. (laughs) And it's full of self-guided hikes that you can take from the town. And the hikes are under themes. And Derek and I had so much fun with this. And then it also tells you, is it easy? Is it hard? Is it going to take you all day? The two I remember the most are we did one that was considered a very easy hike. And believe me, it was. (laughs) That was just through different people's apple orchards. Oh. But in this huge arc. So you were walking through little tiny towns, but also through apples of all these different colors. Well, that sounds lovely. Yeah, it was very casual. It was very lovely. And everything was flat. It wasn't hard at all. It was just sort of a a starter hike. I think it took two hours if you wanted to go the whole way through. And then the other one, the one that we really, really loved, was this one that took you on a pilgrimage to, I think, nine churches that were scattered about this whole area. It took a long time. This hike took a good, huge chunk of the day. But they basically aim you from one church to another, to another, to another, as if you were a pilgrim walking your way through the countryside and stopping at these churches. And they were all very, very tiny churches, almost seeming like they were abandoned on the side of a hillside, like nobody had walked in them forever. But then you, all of them were unlocked. So you would open the door and you'd walk into just this little tiny sanctuary and it was still a working sanctuary for whoever lives around there so it would have flowers in it and oftentimes it would have here's a thing to think about in this sanctuary so that if you were a pilgrim on this road it would give you an ongoing journey of what to think about throughout the whole journey and so that had a sort of a magical quality and also it was so long it stretched you through so many different types of towns Mm. so some churches were abandoned on a hillside some were in the center of town it really was this wonderful weaving you through. One of the things that we love to imagine about the pilgrims walking through Europe is we love the idea that every town had a steeple. And so no matter how far they had to walk, they could see in the distance where they were supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I'd ever hiked like that, where you can see really far off in the distance where you're aiming for. It just gave it sort of a magical rooting to it. That's awesome. You know, old timey. That is so cool. I want to do that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to get to Brixen and it's on the website. You just got to find the right hike. It's And apparently it's one that they do. Um, I forget what the which holiday they do it on, but apparently it's one where they get a whole bunch of people to do it once a year where they carry some crucifix through the towns to all of them. Maybe Corpus Christi or something. Maybe, yeah. I can't remember. Derek, of course, would know, but... I don't remember. That sounds so particular and so memorable. Yeah. We did actually accidentally go almost all the way to Bresanone. <laughs> My fault. We were leaving. You know, it was our last day. We got up at the crack of dawn because we wanted to try to avoid traffic, right? Going back into the city. So we got up super early. We had packed the car the night before. We just got up. We had a quick breakfast and we left as soon as we could. We had to drive for about 20 or 30 minutes to get to the highway 
we got there. I was being the navigator. I'm usually good at being a navigator. Sometimes I screw up royally though. And basically we were driving and I was, you know how when you're looking at your navigator and you're not looking at the road signs and you're like, (laughs) I should be looking at the signs, not just the navigator. So I was looking at the road and it was like, I need to turn right. The on-ramp was to the right. Problem was there were two on-ramps to the right. There was the extreme right and then there was a soft right. And we were supposed to do the soft right, but I wasn't looking up. And so I was like, go right, go right, go right. And he's like, I don't think that's right. I'm like, go right. We go right. And we're going basically north in the direction of Bresanone, which is Bresanone is basically the last major city in Italy before you get, I mean, I wouldn't even call it a major city, but it's the last sizable city in Italy before you get to Austria. I'm like, well, it's fine. As soon as there's an exit, just take the exit. There were no exits. <laughs> there were no exits until Bressanone. It was like a 30-minute drive. Uh-huh. <laughs> Basically took us an hour out of our way. Aww. It really sucked. Did arguing entail? Oh, I mean, oh yes. <laughs> Ensue. Arguing ensued. Let me tell you, it definitely <laughs> ensued. But, you know, that's part of the, uh, the fun, right? Part of the adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But next time, I think we will want to be near Bressanone because that just sounds like so much fun. Those hikes you were talking about. Yes, two other reasons to go there is that I think you did this too, but Bressanone or Brixen, as I like to call it for those of you who are following the Brixen name, has a gondola up to the top of the mountain. So if you didn't want to hike, and if you were a skier, honestly, a lot of people go there in the winter to ski. We took it up to the top. It was covered in fields of munching sheep. I know you've posted a picture of me sitting there before on Instagram. I have, but I didn't know exactly where that picture was from. So that's where it is. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's up above Brixen. Here's a little sound of the munching sheep. And then the other tip I would have is that because it is so close to Austria, Derek and I decided we would do a day trip into Austria just because. And we did a little research to try to figure out where to go that would not be full of tourists. And we found this little tiny town called Hall, which is next to the town of Innsbruck, which I think is a tourist attraction. So a Uh lot of tourists are there. But there's this little tiny town called Hall nearby that's extremely manageable and very cute. It's like full of pastel colored buildings. And, you know, it's just extremely little pleasant day trip place to go. But it's where I recorded this one sound that I've never had a reason to use anywhere that I've always loved because it sounds so terribly haunting. So I'm going to use it. This podcast is the opportunity to finally play it. This is in a church in Hall think that they this very small congregation of people is just they're reading the rosary i believe i love this clip because the woman who's leading it and because i can't understand the language as she's saying it she has this very rhythmic up and downness to her voice that i find strangely melodic and then the people together sound strangely echoey and eerie so i love the combination of the two of them together particularly the up and down rhythm of her voice so I'm going to play it just because okay, I can. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> let's hear it. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah. No, that's beautiful. I hope this is, uh, this episode is interesting and not just us being like, what we did on our vacation. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> of course it's interesting because people... Sorry, you're still at home. Because people who want to go to the mountains of Italy now know where to go. Oh, uh, that's true. You know, actually, I thought of one other thing I wanted to ask you about before we were done. I'm very predictably maybe a graveyard person. Yes. I will go into every graveyard I see if I'm able to and have the time. Mm-hmm. You are not this person. Mm, you do no. not just walk into graveyards miscellaneously. No. But I've always thought that the most beautiful graveyards I've ever been to ever were in the Dolomites. And I know that you found yourself in them as well. So what did you think? I found one. Yes, it was it was really incredible. I posted it on Instagram. So if you go back in my feed about a month, you'll find it. Um, it was just one graveyard that was basically a churchyard at the main church in the town of Fie. One day we went exploring in that tiny little town. It was so lovely because it was just full of flowers. Not just like people who had brought cut flowers and placed them on the tombs. All of the tombs had flowers planted on top of them that were growing, and they were all very colorful. The crosses were all wrought iron and extremely ornate and decorative. Every grave had a little space in front of it, which couldn't have been the size of the coffin because it was much smaller. So it was like a coffin shape, let's say, but it was much smaller. And it was sort of delineated with little stones. And then in the middle would be where the flowers were growing. And they were just so lovely so many different flowers and all of these different black wrought iron crosses in such an aesthetically pleasing way. The mountain was right in the background. It was just gorgeous. And I was totally enamored with it. And I would have spent hours there. But we were we were in a hurry. And it was, you know, you could tell that it was it was not some graveyard from centuries past. It was a place where people were going. And there were a couple people there tending graves, you know, their relatives' graves. It was really touching to see, you know, that there was this... Because I find that modern graveyards tend to be quite unpleasant. I've been to some in Italy, the modern ones. I don't like them. They're very mausoleum-like. And then you open the door and inside, the coffins aren't necessarily underground. They're sort of like in the wall of these little mausoleums. And I don't know why I don't like that. I find it kind of freaky. I, I don't know. I just doesn't it's not my thing it's probably all the spiders no but i mean when i say mausoleum like i know you're thinking of like romeo and juliet and like some beautiful stone thing these are sort of modern with glass doors so you could like see in yeah i'm not gonna say they were ugly they're just they're just not aesthetically pleasing too many different styles all together and you just don't know where to look and it's just crowded and this was so tranquil and so simple but yet so beautiful and all in the same style, and it was lovely. I had the same response where it felt like it was kind of alive in a place that people would go into on a regular basis. It didn't feel like you go there once a year to say hello to your relative. It's it's activated. Yeah, the flowers were so in such perfect condition. It was clear that like people were coming there often. And I mean, really, if you lived in that town and your grandparents were buried there, I mean, it would be a pleasure to go and visit their tomb and take care of it kind of like a lovely part of your weekly routine almost. Yeah, yeah. They also have these little brass kettles that hang off of the crosses, the wrought iron crosses. Derek and I spent 
a good day in Brixton trying to find one of these. And we finally did find one in a some sort of antique store. And nobody in town knew who made them or where they came from. <laughs> like, we were literally asking everybody we could think of. And what are they for? They hang off of it, and they're full of water. And there's often, like, a olive branch stuck into it. I believe it's just that you pull the branch out, and it's wet, and you flick water across the grave, like, saying, I am here. Well, maybe it's holy water. It's probably holy water. Might be. Yeah, but it's still this another kind of beautiful interactive thing that is just yeah a part of what that graveyard is. Yeah. And you saw it in your town, but I've seen it in multiple towns across the Dolomites. So I think it's just culturally how they build graveyards up there. It's lovely. I know. It's so pretty. Oh, look at you, a convert to graveyard tourism. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always, I've always loved the non-Catholic cemetery in Rome. Yes, it's beautiful. One of my favorite places in the city. So I don't, it's not like I don't like graveyards. I just, I don't like them all. I, or let's just say this, I don't go out of my way looking for graveyards. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, but if you were driving in a car and you saw one on the side of the road, would you stomp on the brakes and get out? No. If it looked interesting? It would have to be look very interesting. Okay. I like the idea of really like a really old graveyard to try to decipher the names. There's one in Boston right around the corner from the Capitol that I always loved, and it had these like crooked tombstones that I always thought were fascinating. And there's a wonderful, wonderful cemetery in Prague. The Jewish cemetery is incredible. So there are some cemeteries that I appreciate. Yes, I've always wanted to, if I ever bought a house, I always thought I'd like to live next door to one. Because what amazing neighbors, really. It's sort of like <laughs> looking over a park, a very quiet park yeah. that sometimes people are in, but you know, overall, nobody goes into. Except for the squirrels and the deer and the ravens and whatever else, you know, the things that know that they won't be bothered there. Yeah, and, and you would have the bonus of having your reminder of your own mortality, which I know you enjoy having. Like I need that, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you don't really need that because you're no. always thinking about it. Yeah, I don't need that. I don't need that. So anyway, to end, before you all die, get to Bressanone, <laughs> get to Casanova, go to the Dolomites. Yes, they're incredible, and you will see a totally different side of Italy than your classic Rome, Florence, Venice. It's just a completely different side of the country. Yeah, you may feel like it's in a country in itself. It just sort of seems like it's its own place. All right, well, should we leave it there? Yes, we shall. All right, until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Find us on all the social medias. And don't forget to send us your story ideas about travel angels or travel regrets. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. If you love the show, please support it. Participate in our share Tell five of your friends about the show, ask them to subscribe, and get entered to win fabulous prizes. You can find out more at thebittersweetlife.net on our about page or at our Facebook page by searching for The Bittersweet Life Podcast. Or you can choose to donate to the show. Listeners like you who donate have kept this show alive for the last four years. We can't do it without you. Find the donate button at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Click it and let us know you love the show by keeping it going. And one small note, the donate button only appears on the desktop version of the website. I know, trying to fix it, trying to figure it out. So please do take the time to support the show that you love. Talk to you next week. Bye.